We have two texts today. The first is Exodus chapter 20, and the second is Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so if you'd turn there, please. In both of our passages today, we, we find the Ten Commandments being given. And the longest of the Ten Commandments is the commandment that most find almost totally irrelevant, and that is the commandment regarding the Sabbath, the Fourth Commandment. It is one of two positive commandments. As one author put it, nearly all the statements are formulated in the negative. The first few statements prescribe or proscribe wrongful ways of relating to the divine. No other gods, no images, no vain use of the divine name. While the last six begin with low, not. Human beings, it seems, are in more need of restraint than encouragement. In the sea of prohibition, two positive exhortations stand out the one about hallowing the Sabbath, and the one about honoring father and mother. If you've been with us for the past three Sundays, you may be wondering where I'm going with this. Uh, Weren't we studying the vices, and specifically the vice of sloth? Yes, and we still are today, as we will see that the vice of sloth is traditionally seen as opposed to the commandment regarding the Sabbath. Aquinas wrote, It requires that the soul take rest in God alone. And sloth does not want to do that. To review just a bit, a vice is a habit or character trait. It's not necessarily something that we are born with. Both vices and virtues are acquired moral qualities. That is, we can cultivate habits or break them down over time through our repeated actions. There is a problem, though, for some, and that is that the word vice or vices is not found in the Bible. So where does the idea come from? Well, the idea of capital vices or deadly sins emerged in the fourth century. We think it came from the men we know as the Desert Fathers who lived in southern Egypt out in the desert. These were men who deliberately withdrew into the desert to face temptation and sin head on. They wanted to develop a contemplative spirit through prayer and to follow the example of Jesus during his time in the wilderness, the 40 days of his temptations. Based on the experiences of these men, a list was written down of the thoughts or demons that seemed to attack them or beat them down. There were originally eight, gluttony, lust, avarice, sadness, anger, sloth, vainglory, pride. And originally, as I told you, this was seen as more dealing with the individual, the individual and his vices. But as time went on, the church came to see these vices as well as virtues as not dealing primarily with the individual or exclusively with the individual, but with the community, with the congregation, with the church. So... Vices that are to be discarded and virtues that are to be taken on are for the congregation, not simply for the individual. As time went on, uh, the list was shrunk down to seven. Sloth and sadness were combined. Vainglory was dropped, which is interesting. That'll be the next vice that we study. And envy was added. But we live in a modern or postmodern world, depending on your point of view, and sloth is either no longer seen as a problem or it's simply reduced to laziness, being a slacker. That's what being slothful means. As we've seen, it is much, much more than that. How we got here is important, and this is from last week just to remind you. 
in the modern world, we live in a disenchanted world. We're told in Genesis 1, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And when it comes to what God had created, there is delight and there's joy. He delights in what he has created. And he gives to those who are made in his image, that is us, both the responsibility of work as he does, but also to delight in all good things as he does. Those who lived in the pre-modern world saw the world as enchanted, meaning that what this signified was that meaning resided in the things themselves. The world was seen as full of meaning, sometimes frighteningly so, um, which meant that the world was to be respected. But as we come into the modern world, the world is or age, the world is merely seen as resources, things to be used as we please. So the world is now disenchanted. Things only mean something if we assign a meaning to them, otherwise they're pretty much meaningless. And as a result, in the modern world, and I think we find ourselves struggling here as well, modern people struggle to find the world as beautiful and good and having any value or any worth. As a result, this has led to the second thing, which we saw last week, and that is boredom. When people do not accept God's view of things, they do not delight in them. One writer put it this way, Unfortunately, however, our response to its loveliness, that is creations, is not always delight. It is far more often than it should be boredom. See, boredom declares that God is wrong when he saw the world as good. The bored person thinks that God's vision must have been impaired. But one who is a child of God cannot be a good Christian and at the same time despise God's creation. Augustine wrote something fascinating about this. He said, everything God made was good and thus evil was no thing because everything that God made was good and evil is no thing. Evil was a deprivation of the good and therefore was no real thing. As we saw last week, boredom is really a key component to modern sloth. As a result, people struggle to find worth in other people or even in themselves. Um, and yet, you know, different people have asked me about this, and yet I think modern people love this idea. I think they like being bored. Because in a meaningless world, things only have value, only have meaning if we assign it to them. And after a while, we might get bored with them, and that's fine. We'll, we'll move on to the next thing. We'll move on to the next celebrity, if you wish, or the next star. Um, and so boredom is not as tedious as one might imagine. But this leads to the third thing we saw last week, and that is nihilism. A hatred of being. Just a hatred of being, a dislocating of the human person from the universe of being. It is man who has left home. In a disenchanted world, we want to say that we are our own creators. We are self-created. But this is nonsense. In the same way that evil is no thing, this is nonsense. And so desire is reduced and it becomes nihilistic. The delight that God saw in his creation, that he felt in his creation, which we are to share, has been lost, the self-centered desire. We do not share this delight. And gone is the wonder that we hear in Isaiah's vision of God in Isaiah 6. Above him were two seraphs, 
or seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The modern person doesn't see this at all. The modern person who is a person of sloth has accepted a disenchanted world of nature, has become bored, even with boredom itself, and has come to see life as having no objective meaning, no purpose, no value, except stimulation and distraction. So what is the remedy? If we as individuals, but as a congregation, struggle with the vice of sloth, what is it that we can do to fight this? What are the remedies to sloth? I will suggest four. Okay. The first, I think, is self-evident, and that is we are to delight in God's creation. Unable to love the world, the slothful are bored and nihilistic. They see nothing compelling or delightful in reality or in their own selves. So the beginning of fighting sloth, I'm convinced, is delighting in God's creation. And one of the ways to delight in God's creation is in keeping the Sabbath. One writer put it this way, if we would keep the Sabbath, we would be on our way to singing of the world's loveliness. There are two accounts of the Ten Commandments. The first one is found in Exodus chapter 20. And if you have your Bibles open there, beginning in verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I want to point out some things here. First of all, the commandments, the law, this particular commandment, was given to a multitude of ex-slaves whose lives had been shaped by patterns, one could say, or vices of slavery. There's no Sabbath day, there's no day off. They were to work all the time. And so when God calls them to be his people, there are necessary instructions how they are as a community to live, as a group of people they have a new way of living, and God gives the commandments, and one of those commandments has to do with the Sabbath. The basis for this commandment is found in creation. Just a side note, oftentimes people speak of the six days of creation. This is quite mistaken, because not only does God bless and hallow the seventh day, but it is the seventh day, on the seventh day, not the sixth, that creation is finished. Creation is not finished on the sixth day. It is finished on the seventh day. He worked for six, forming and filling. But before he finished his work on the seventh, what, did, what was lacking? What did he need to bring about? What he needed to create was rest. And it was created on the seventh day. This is not a negation, stopping from doing something, but something intrinsically positive. For without it, the universe would not be complete. If God had finished after six days, something would be missing. And the thing that would be missing is rest, which is peace, tranquility, harmony, happiness, beatitude, and praise. So the basis for the commandment regarding the Sabbath here in Exodus 20 is based on the week of creation. 
last thing I would remind you or tell you about this is that the commandment is an invitation to share, to join with God in hallowing creation. God hallows the Sabbath, but in doing so, he completes creation, the week of creation, and we are to participate in that. But how do we do that? Well, this is the second thing. The first thing is delighting in creation. Secondly, we are to celebrate God's creation. Sloth is overcome when we affirm the goodness of the world just as God does. Sloth fails to accept the greatness of what God has done. It's just, you know, whatever. It's not seen as anything particularly noticeable. It does not wish to be what it fundamentally is. We are made in God's image. People do not want to accept that. And instead, human beings pervert humility. That is to say, we say, oh, we're really not that great. Creation's not that great. But in fact, we are made in the image of God. That's pretty spectacular. And God created the world and saw that it was very good. Um, Who are we to somehow disparage it and say, yeah, it's, 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 it's no big deal. The opposite of sloth is not industriousness. If you're thinking, boy, you know, Damon's been talking about being slothful and I really need to work harder. No, I think the opposite of sloth is affirming, is celebrating God's creation. Think a moment about Adam at the beginning. He was placed in a beautiful garden. And by the way, I I keep saying that. And as I was going through this, like people may say, where do you get that? So this is from Genesis 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So the Garden of Eden was a place of beauty. Okay. So God put him there. Was it possible, would it have been possible for Adam to hate the place where he had been put? Or to feel sadness? For this huge task, God said, I want you to name the animals. Or to feel sadness at being alone. In short, could Adam have been slothful? Well, if he could disobey by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then he certainly could have disobeyed by being slothful. But instead, we find him doing as he was instructed, caring for the garden, naming the animals, and delighting in the woman that God brings to him. We hear this as he breaks into song. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. God's instructions to Adam were important, but they're not merely information. It is to lead to delight. There is to be celebration, and this is an antidote to sloth. How does the Sabbath fit in here? Well, as human beings, we need leisure. Okay, not to be confused with spare time or downtime. Leisure is not non-activity, but rather a mental and spiritual attitude which opens the door to celebration. This leads to the third thing that I want to suggest as an antidote to slothfulness, and that is contemplation. We are to delight in God's creation. We are to celebrate God's creation, but we are also to contemplate. Now, usually when you speak of contemplation, people think of, I'm going to go off by myself and sort of you know, pull into myself, um, be quiet, be silent. Uh, but contemplation, I think, is not supposed to be passive. It is to be an active engagement. 
It is to reach out to things with loving acceptance and with affectionate affirmation. When you contemplate, you're not being passively indifferent. You're not sort of gazing at your navel, so to speak. You are, in fact, to be looking at what God has created and to consider God's creation. It is to celebrate, to think and to celebrate and affirm God's good creation. So, we are to look for goodness. We are to affirm goodness. And we are to celebrate goodness. And this, I think, begins to be the antidote to sloth. There is at least one more antidote to sloth, and that is trust. If you would now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is our second text. Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the second account of the Ten Commandments. We'll begin in verse... By the way, I think I mentioned this already, but of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is the longest by far uh, of the Ten Commandments, uh, which I think is worth noting. Um, Beginning in verse number 12, here in Deuteronomy 5, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you, sh- shall, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The account in Exodus 20 goes back to creation. The account here points to redemption, the exodus out of Egypt, the deliverance from slavery. So the commandment to join God in hallowing the Sabbath is set within the context of the previous life. They used to be slaves, and they no longer are. God has delivered them. Well, whether we're talking about the context of creation or the context of redemption, there is a place for delight, for celebration, and for contemplation. Listen to what God told Job in Job 38. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone? while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Creation is a time of joy. And listen to the songs of worship in Revelation 4. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That's the context there in Exodus chapter 20. But now here in Deuteronomy 5, it is redemption. Passover is to be a reminder. It is to be celebrated. Um, The instructions are given in Exodus 12. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And again, we hear the worship in heaven, Revelation 5. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. 
there is to be trust. We can celebrate and delight and commemorate God's creating the world, absolutely, but we can also delight in God's redemption and celebrate and commemorate it as well. And that should lead us to trust. It is worth noting, with regard to the Sabbath, that Israel was told, listen, God created the world on the seventh day. He rested. That's why the Sabbath is to be hallowed. And then later in Deuteronomy, I brought you out of slavery. But there's something else. For 40 years, for 40 years, God provided food for them, manna. But he only did that six days a week. You remember the story that they were to collect manna in the morning? Not too much because it would go bad overnight. But on the sixth day, they were to collect enough for the sixth and the seventh day. And there they were taught by example, the Sabbath is a day when you're not supposed to work. So yes, God delivered them out of slavery. There is redemption. Yes, God created the world. But he also provided for them day after day. And on the sixth day, he provided twice as much so that they would not have to work on the seventh day. Now, one could make the case that observing the Sabbath is inefficient. That you can certainly get more work done if you work seven days than if you work six Of course, we we know or we imagine that we do that people need a day off. um, But the Sabbath is much, much more than that. But just imagine what would happen to our economy if, in fact, malls shut down on Sunday or restaurants shut down on Sunday or there were no sports on Sunday. What would we do? What would happen? I think the issue is trust. Do we trust that God will keep things going even when we don't work. That we can work for five or six days a week and the Sabbath is a day in which we celebrate and delight in God's creation. Hopefully we've been doing that all throughout the week, but in a very specific way. And we trust that while we are not working, God is keeping things going because he is, after all, the Lord God Almighty. Do we trust God to sustain his creation? Or do delight, celebration, and contemplation appear to be really an inefficient use of one's time? Yeah, it's, it's, you could do better things with your time. Aquinas wrote, The Sabbath requires the soul take rest in God alone. This is trust. We've seen in this series thus far that sloth can uh, display itself or it can show itself on both ends of the spectrum. It can be the couch potato or you can be the workaholic. Um, Someone who has no movement whatsoever, total inertia, or someone who in fact is restlessly distracted by endless activity. I would suggest to you that somewhere in between these opposite ends of the spectrum is the Sabbath. A Sabbath day of rest for the heart in which one gives oneself utterly to God and the heart is overjoyed, not worried or oppressed by the thought that, you know, I actually should be doing something. Uh, I, I I shouldn't, I could use my time more efficiently. The slothful person insists on his or her own way, his or her own will, making his or her own pseudo-rest. 
The lack of commitment means that we have, in fact, failed to surrender to God. That the commandment that God gave to his people is seen as irrelevant and really not, not that important for us at all. At the root of sloth is pride. That, in fact, we can take care of ourselves. Thank you very much. We don't need God's help unless we really, really get into a bind and then, and then we'll call out for help and he'll help us. Sloth results from a refusal to submit oneself to God, to say, yes, I will do as you say, to say, here, here I am, I am yours from now on. This is, in fact, the opposite of what we hear from Mary when Gabriel appears to her. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And this continues not, it's not just until Jesus is born or until he reaches a certain age. It continues until his death when we see her at the foot of his cross watching her son Jesus dying. The personal sloth seeks to find happiness without having to love others, without having to give in to the demands of self-giving love. The slothful person prefers his or her own efforts. I know what makes me happy. I know what will make me happy. By the way, have you noticed that now I think all types of behavior are acceptable in many people's minds as long as the person is happy? If they're happy, then that's, that's all that matters. But in fact, we are to delight as God would have us. And we are to love one another. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. The person of sloth chooses to avoid what seems to be oppressive, the, the demands of love. That just, it's, it's too much. And so they put them off and try to fulfillment, find fulfillment in an easier way. The person of sloth does not hear the words of Jesus, or if they do, they do not believe them. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Sabbath, anyone? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sloth is not overcome by non-sloth, by industriousness, by hard-working, but by delighting in the world and seeing it as God sees it. And the Sabbath, the commandment of the Sabbath, points to that, that we are to celebrate, we are to contemplate God's work and his creation. And we are to trust that he will keep things running without our help. By the way, in some ways, we do Sabbath every day when we go to bed at night. When we go to bed at night, basically what we are saying, whether we realize it or not, is the world is going to keep running even though I'm going to be unconscious for the next however many hours. God will sustain the world. It is, in fact, an act of faith. The Sabbath is a bit more. It's a day. And we see that creation is not complete. It's not six days. It's that seventh day. You need that seventh day to make it complete. And when we delight, 
and celebrate and contemplate and trust God as seen in this commandment, then I think we begin to get the upper hand against sloth and fight against this vice that in our culture is not seen as a vice at all. But as God's people, we need to stand for what is right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are, the God of all creation, who not only made the world, but made a day of rest, of peace, of harmony, of praise. And that we are to follow in your steps, we are to delight in what you have made. But we live in a world that chooses not to do that that has disenchanted the world, that has moved it from the category of creation to nature and sees it as not really having any beauty in its own, but only having value to the extent that we can use it. And as a result, we find ourselves assaulted and oftentimes overcome by the vice of sloth. We have far more confidence in our own ability than we do in you. And we have far more faith in our ability to understand things and interpret things than than you have. Oftentimes we suspect that you just have failed to see things correctly. Help us to see by your grace and your spirit that in this commandment of the Sabbath, We are reminded that this is your world. It is your world. And as you delight in it and celebrate it and contemplate it, we should as well and we should trust you, the creator and sustainer of all things. And by your grace, begin to fight back against sloth this resistance to any change, to any transformation. And by your Spirit, be conformed to the image of your Son. One who trusted you. And may we trust you as he did. Again, we thank you that you brought us together today to worship you in spirit and in truth. We remember Ruth and her kids today during this time of loss that you would comfort them and draw them to yourself. May your spirit go with us as we leave this place today. And by your grace, may we be lights in a world of darkness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.